Father that uh, we have children in our church who love Jesus and who want to follow Jesus, and we pray that you'd protect them and cause them to grow knowing Jesus all the days of their lives and following Jesus all the days of their lives. Uh, We give that to you, Father, and we thank you for it. Uh, And we praise you for the privilege that we have of nurturing children in the love and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May it ever be so. Uh, We honor you for that. And Lord, we thank you for our church fellowship. We thank you for this season that we're in, that you've called the season of clearing out as we get ready for the season that you called the multiplication or the multiplying of the church. Uh, We look forward to that day of multiplication. But we pray, Lord, for us that you would help us to be ready. Refine us, purify us, do whatever you need to do in our midst to get us ready for the day when you multiply us by bringing more and more people to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you for where you have placed us in London, right here in the center. And we pray now for the at least seven and a half million people in the 15 miles around us in every direction who don't know Jesus. We cry out to you, Lord God, that you'd move in the power of your Holy Spirit so that many of those people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. We cry out to you that you would move in the power of your Holy Spirit, bringing conviction of sin and convicting people with regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Lord, that is your job in the power of your Holy Spirit, and we cannot do it. We will continue to lift high the cross. We will continue to lift high Jesus. But we call upon you, merciful Father, to move in the power of your Spirit, to bring people to the cross of Christ. And use us, Lord. Prepare us for the day when that happens, because we know that day is coming soon. So help us to be ready. We cry out to you for that, Lord God. We cry out to you. And Lord, we pray that you'd release a spirit of healing and evangelism and all the things that are necessary to begin to reach that 7.5 million people around us. We thank you for the privilege of putting us here and the ability to be part of what you are doing. And Lord, we pray that as... Uh, We look ahead to a great outpouring of your Holy Spirit that we think is coming very soon. We pray that you'd make us ready for that as well. So that we might be filled and empowered, revived and lifted up, and so that we might go forth in power into our workplaces, into our communities, into our schools, bringing the love and joy and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we cry out to you for our city, we also cry out that you'd break the spirit of Islam in this city, break the spirit of materialism in this city, break the spirit of mammon in this city, Lord God, break the spirit of uh, naturalism, uh, secular, na- uh, uh, secular naturalism, break it down, Father God so that people will have their blinders removed and be able to see Jesus as he truly is, the living, risen Son of God. And so we pray for our city, Lord. We pray for our church. 
We pray that all that you have to accomplish in us would be accomplished and that it would all be for the glory and honor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Father, as we go to your word, I pray that you'd open it up to us. And I pray that your spirit would rest on me, that I might proclaim your word to your people through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at uh, three different passages today. Uh, Psalm 84, Ecclesiastes 5, and 1 Timothy chapter 6. Just invite you to turn with me. Psalm 84, great psalm. We're just going to read the last uh, three verses. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And then over to Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter. Again, in this case, uh, the last three verses. Solomon is writing here at the end of his life, and he says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. And then finally, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul's writing here and he says, Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness... He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into many temptations, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. 
Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. As many of you know, over the years, uh, we have gone to Croatia to do some ministry there amongst some friends and in a number of churches. And over the years, we've had the pleasure, not only of ministering in the churches, but traveling around a little bit uh, in the country, uh, getting to know some people. Uh, and for a season, the church that was there was really bound up with a lot of legalism. They're finally starting to break out of that, but it's been a very, very rocky journey and many of their family and friends really kind of thought of them more like a cult or, or more sectarian than a, a regular Christian church. Uh, and they struggled because it seemed like that these guys wouldn't do anything and, 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 and just didn't seem like they were enjoying life all that much. And so as we traveled around, we discovered, Karen and I discovered, that one of the more powerful things that we could do to share Jesus with people and to show people that Jesus was normal was have a good time. Uh, and this manifested one year in a couple of places where we traveled. They have this little thing called rakia. Uh, and rakia is actually a pretty hard liquor uh, that they distill and they flavor with different kinds of, of things. Uh, some put fruit in it, others put herbs in it uh, and, and this kind of thing. Uh, and as we go around, many people make their own rakia. I mean, that's just the way, the way it is. And so we made a point everywhere we went to share with, with the family that we were with, if we were offered a cup of, uh, a little uh, glass of rakia, to share that. To go ahead and say, yeah, okay, we'll have that. And sometimes it was really good. And sometimes it was really funny. I remember one time we were in a place on the island of Broch. Uh, back up in the center of the island, and the, the hostess was really proud of the rakia that they produced. Uh, and so she went out and she brought out a bottle and she poured a, a, a cup of rakia, a, a little glass of rakia. And so I took it and I downed it as you do. And I'm thinking, this is kind of like water. And so I had another one and she's looking at me a little worried, a little kind of concerned. And I ended up having two or three of those and she's thinking, whoa, you know, this guy... You know, there's something going on. And I'm thinking, this is definitely water. And then finally the, the husband came and he sat down and he wanted to have a glass. And he took the glass and he drank it and he said, oh, this is water. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. 
but the fact that we could enjoy life was one of the great testimonies of the truth of Jesus. You know, Christians, we have a reputation of not enjoying the stuff of life. Oh, we'll talk about enjoying God, but then people say, well, what does that mean, you know, enjoying God? And then for, you know, a lot of guys, if we talk about enjoying God, and all of a sudden some of the guys that are not Christians, you know, have, have a, a picture. I was, I, was teasing, uh, uh, I was teasing somebody earlier, and I said, uh, you know, why don't you take one of those flags and kind of skip around the church, and I'll, I'll film it, and I'll share it with your guys at work. You know, and it's like, no way! We would never do that because that would really bring a lot of humiliation. But that's the picture in a lot of people's minds who are outside the church. They don't see Christians as people who enjoy life. They don't see Christians as people who enjoy the stuff around them. They see Christians oftentimes as, as people who put aside all of the things that we'd normally enjoy and, and live as some kind of uh, ascetics, uh, depriving ourselves of everything good and everything fun. And the problem is that there are many Christians that have that attitude. They think that that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, they, they think that if you enjoy things, then it's some form of worldliness and we have to be careful of worldliness, which is true. We do have to be careful of worldliness. But they think any kind of enjoyment then becomes a, an indicator of worldliness. But this is not the picture that the Bible gives. I preach many times about suffering. And uh, that's been a theme. And I, and I believe as Christians we will suffer. I believe if you're a leader, you will suffer. Uh, it's promised that we will experience persecutions. Uh, but I also believe equally as much that we should live life to the full and enjoy our lives to the fullest. And I believe that that also is God's promise and God's desire for us. I love what Tim, Paul says to Timothy here in this passage in, in 1 Timothy 6. He tells us, that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Notice he doesn't say, God richly provides us everything so that we can save everybody. Or that God richly provides us with everything so that we can give it all away and alleviate poverty. Or that God richly provides us everything uh, so that we can build a great kingdom for ourselves. Now, the, th the last one is wrong, but the first two are fine. It's fine to give things away. We, we are to alleviate poverty. We are to advance God's kingdom. We are to share Jesus. But God also provides us richly with everything to enjoy. And if we are not enjoying the good that God provides us, then we are not being a proper testimony to our God that we serve. If we are not enjoying the good that God provides us, we are not giving glory to Jesus. If we're not enjoying the good that God provides us, we are not honoring our Father in heaven. But sometimes in this world, it's difficult to know how do we do that? What is the basis for this? Uh, and how do, we, how do we enjoy? 
How do we enjoy the good? How do we enjoy it safely? And everybody knows that cars can be a lot of fun. One of my great joys in life is driving and going on road trips. Uh, But at the same time, cars can be rather devastating. They can take lives. And that's true of just about any good that's in our lives. That good can be something that brings about good, or that good can be something that's abused. So how do we enjoy the good that God provides us so richly? Well, we have a foundational principle for enjoying good. If you don't hold on to this principle, you cannot enjoy good, at least in a proper way. And that is, you have to trust God and set your hope on God. That is the foundation for enjoying good. We must trust God, have faith in God, and set our hope in God. Our hope is not in any material thing in this world. Our hope is not in any relationship in this world. Our hope is not in the church. Our hope is not in the government. Our hope is not in any institution. Our hope is in God, and we must trust Him and Him alone. If we are not trusting God and setting our hope on God, then ultimately we will start to trust the things that we enjoy and we will distort the the things that we want to enjoy and then consequently we will stop enjoying them as God intended. So the foundation for all of our enjoying of good is to trust God and set our hope on God. Trust God and set our hope on God. If we don't do that, then we end up trying to create our own good in our own understanding of good, and our own understanding of good is rather limited. And so we trust God and set our hope on God. How do we know that we're doing that? I mean, it's easy to say, but how do we know that we're doing it? Well, the text here points us to a number of things. Do we believe that God is our source for all good and our ability to enjoy good? Do we see God God as our source for all good and our ability to enjoy good? If you think that good comes to your life by your work, by your efforts, by your study, by by your money, uh, by your getting other people to cooperate with you, if you think that anything in in your life other than God is the source of good and your ability to enjoy good, you will distort goodness. We see this a lot in, in contemporary sexual ethics. So many people don't really believe that sex comes from God and the enjoyment of sex comes from God. And so consequently, they start to engage in sexual activity outside of God's parameters. They want to enjoy the goodness of sex, but they want to enjoy it in their own way. And it demonstrates that they don't really see God as the source of that and the ability to enjoy that. And thus it becomes distorted. The text also point us to the idea that God will not withhold anything good for those who live uprightly. That's what the psalmist said. God does not withhold anything good. Yet, so often, we think that God is keeping some kind of good from us. It might be, well, why don't I have a new job? I need a new job. God knows I need a new job, and, and he's not giving me a new job, and, and so he's withholding this good. 
You know, or I want a relationship. I want a soulmate, and I'm not getting a soulmate, and God's withholding the soulmate from me, uh, and, and so he's keeping me from good. Uh, or, you know, I want a new house. You can put anything you want to in that category. Uh, and the challenge is that we do not see our lives like God sees our lives. Over the years, I've talked to, to many young women who were wanting a husband, who were longing for a husband, who finally got a husband and he became abusive and adulterous. And they experienced brokenness because they decided to do it their own way. And that's just one of many, many examples. So if we are trusting God and setting our hope on God, we will embrace the idea that God will not withhold anything good from those who walk uprightly. Now, conversely, there are a lot of people who live in sin and they just think, well, I can do whatever I want to, and then God's going to give me good and I'm going to be able to enjoy good. And if you think that, you're wrong. Because God will not withhold anything good from those who walk, who live uprightly. Another idea that lets us know that we're trusting God is if we're looking for godliness with contentment. That's what Paul told Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's great profit. It's great good. In other words, the two goals of our lives, instead of getting more good and enjoying more good, needs to be living a godly life, one that reflects the, the person and character of Jesus Christ, and learning to be content choosing to be content with what we have in our lives. And ironically, as we embrace godliness and contentment, that releases us to have a deeper enjoyment of the good that God provides for us. Also, if we're trusting God and, and setting our hope on God, then we will be content with the basics that God provides. Notice what Paul said to Timothy. He said, you know, if we have food and clothes, we will be content. Now, Paul wanted more than food and clothes, I'm sure. But he said, we will be content. If we have the basics of life, if we have what we need at a foundational level, we're going to be content with that. According to the Bible, if you have food, clothes, and shelter, you're not poor. You have what you need. And if you have more food, more clothes, more shelter than what you need, you're actually rich. And it reorients our thinking. Uh, and as we're content with the, what God has provided, the basics we have in our lives, it demonstrates that we're trusting God and setting our hope on God. And then Paul tells Timothy, he says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. If we trust God and set our hope on God, we're not gonna, we won't pursue all the things that we think to be good, but we will pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, keep on keeping on, and gentleness. Because ironically, those things will enable us to enjoy the good that God provides us even more fully when we have them. And Paul tells Timothy also, fight the good fight of the faith. And if we're living for Jesus and we're fighting that good fight and we're hanging in there and we orient our lives toward Jesus Christ, embracing who he is and all that he did and seeking that in our own lives, that demonstrates that we trust God and set our hope on God and ultimately it makes us more able, 
better able to enjoy the good that God provides for us. So the foundational idea here to enjoy the good that God richly provides us is that we have to trust God and set our hope on God. I know that that's our orientation. But we also need to watch out for the things that destroy our ability to enjoy good. There are certain things in our lives that if we do or we pursue will undermine the ability that we have to enjoy good. One of the big ones there is refusing to accept our lot, as uh, Solomon said there in Ecclesiastes. Now what is our lot there? It's our territory. It's our portion. Uh, it's, not, it's not an idea of you just lost the luck of the draw, but it's the idea that God has given us all an area of influence. God has given us all a place to be. God has set the boundaries of our lives. God has established us in families or in connections. God has given us our, our jobs, our work, and things like that. And we need to embrace it. So many people are constantly looking for something else. I've talked to dozens and dozens of pastors over the year who they're in a church, but they're constantly looking for another church. They're constantly thinking, I want a bigger church. I want a better church. I want a church with better people. I want to get more money. I want to do this. I want to do that. And not realizing that that's about the same thing as being married and constantly looking at other women and saying, well, maybe she'd be a better wife for me. It undermines your ability to enjoy good. Now, one of the great things that when I travel around and and am able to minister in other places, it does two things in my life because I love you guys. One, it enables me to enjoy other places and accept people as they are and not look to gain an advantage over them or look to have them meet some kind of need that's in my life. And two, it makes me really appreciate you all. You know, because when I you know, see some of the things that these guys deal with, I think, hey, I'm thankful for the people that I have at City Temple. Or, or I go into a context and I think, you know, all those people are just like the same. You know, the people in their church are just from the same place. And, and, and I got diversity. Uh, and so it just causes me to rejoice. That's because I've accepted the portion that God has assigned to me. And sometimes the portion that God assigns to us is difficult. Sometimes it's easy. But we can often try to compare it to what somebody else has. But you will never know. Sometimes what somebody else has is because Satan has given it to them. And sometimes what somebody else has is just different because it's what they can, they can handle or they can have. The second thing that will destroy our ability to enjoy good is to think that anything in this world has ultimate value for us. As Paul said there to Timothy, you know, we've brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Everything for which you are working and striving right now in your life will fall away, except that which belongs to the Lord. If you're working for a bigger house, you know, one day you're going to die uh, and you're not going to, you won't have that bigger house. Or if you're working for a bigger house that's on four or five floors, one day you're going to have knee surgery and find out you can't occupy except for one floor. 
Now, all the things that we strive after, all the things that we work for, so much of it just passes away. And we need to understand that none of the stuff of good in our life, even the best good possible in your life, none of it has ultimate value except for what is done for the Lord, what belongs to Jesus. Then a third thing that will destroy our ability to, to enjoy good is desiring to be rich and accumulating wealth. Now, it's not wrong to be wealthy. And it's not wrong to accumulate wealth. In fact, I wish many Christians would do that. I love what uh, John Wesley used to say. He said, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. And I think that's great advice. Uh, I keep praying that Samuel will be, you know, the first millionaire here in our midst. And I just keep reminding him of that biblical word called tithe. You know, that's okay. You know, I think the first billionaire is better, Samuel. I think that, that that's what we should pray for. We need to reorient that. You know, there's nothing wrong. But if that becomes your overarching desire in life, if that becomes your focus, then that will undermine your ability to enjoy good. In fact, that will take you in a direction you don't want to go. Paul says you will fall into temptation, a snare, senseless and harmful desires that lead to ruin and destruction. And we see that in so many people, in so many lives. They want to get money, and ultimately it leads them to ruin and destruction. He says the love of money is a root of many kinds of evils and if you desire to be rich and accumulate wealth and that's the orientation of your life then it will even lead you to wander away from the faith and cause much pain in your life. Now, So if that's our orientation it will undermine or destroy our ability to enjoy good. And finally Paul says you know teach the wealthy in this world and you might think well I'm not wealthy well, then ask yourself, do you have food? Do you have clothes? And do you have a roof over your head? If you have food, clothes, a roof over your head, and you have a little bit more than exactly what you need, you're wealthy. You meet the definition. And so he says, wealthy people, teach them not to be haughty, not to think, hey, I've got stuff and so I'm okay. Uh, or to set their hope on stuff. And if you start to get proud, if you start to get conceited about all the stuff you have, about how you big your bank account is, or you set your hope on that, then you're going to have problems, and it will undermine your ability to enjoy good. So we trust God, and we set our hope on God, knowing that God is the source of all the good in our lives, and that good has come for us to enjoy we stop doing these things that can destroy our ability to enjoy good. But then what are we to enjoy? I mean, what is the good? What are the things that God prov provides for us? Well, one of the things, and it's not in the text we read today, but it certainly comes up in, in Ecclesiastes many times, is the relationships God has. Enjoy the relationships you have on the basis that you have them. 
Enjoy the relationships you have on the basis that you have them. So often we spend a lot of our time saying, I want, I want more in the relationship. I want this relationship to go deeper. I wish this person would call me more. Uh, I wish this person would do this. I wish this person would do that. I wish this person would let me take this. Or We, we go into this idea and what we're doing is we're trying to control all the relationships in our lives. And if we're going to enjoy these relationships, we simply just need to invest ourselves in them and accept every relationship as a grace from that person. Accept every relationship from a, as a grace and enjoy it on the basis that you have it. A second thing is eating and drinking. It's my favorite, of course, that uh, the Solomon points out. He says, eat, drink, enjoy food, enjoy sharing meals with people. Uh, it's interesting that a, uh, in every culture of the world, sharing a meal is one of the most profound ways to experience joy in relationship and, and what God provides. There's a power in that. That's one of the reasons why we love to do it here at City Temple. Uh, we love to eat. It's about as much as we love to worship. Uh, and that's good. And so enjoy. Enjoy eating and drinking. Uh, he says to enjoy our toil uh, or enjoy our work. Now this means in part find enjoyment in the stuff you do, quote unquote, for a living. But that's not all of it. This word toil means anything you set your mind to do with your life. Now, if you're going to, if you have a garden and you want a garden, enjoy gardening. Not my thing, but, you know, if you want to do it, that's great. Uh, it might be your job. It might be a hobby that you have. It might be a way that you want to serve others. But enjoy that. Find satisfaction in it. And we don't, you know, with all of us, there are things that we don't like in our work. But don't focus on what you don't like. Focus on what you do like. And if you don't like anything about it, find some person to focus on. And if you don't have any person that you work with that you like, then rejoice in the fact that at least you get some money at the end of the day. But find joy. Enjoy your work. The fourth is to enjoy what wealth and possessions we have. You know, it is important for us to tithe. It is important for us to use our wealth to advance God's kingdom. It is important for us to share with those who have needs. It is important for us to alleviate uh, poverty. It is important for us to help provide housing for the homeless. All of these things are absolutely important, and all of these things are a good use of our resources, all the things that we have. But Paul also is telling us here, enjoy the stuff that we have in our lives. If you have a house, enjoy it. If you have a, a music player, enjoy it. Uh, enjoy your musical instruments. Enjoy the possessions that you have. Whatever you have in your life, it's not only to advance the kingdom of God, it's also for you to enjoy. And ironically, when you're enjoying it, oftentimes you use it most effectively to advance God's kingdom. And the last thing that he's encouraging us, the text encouraging us to enjoy, to enjoy is doing good. 
It's fun to do good. We're to enjoy it. It's fun to be generous. Uh, I love wrestling people for picking up the tab at dinner. I enjoy that. It's, it, it's fun. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were in, in Poland and, and uh, Legnica, uh, I told you about the, the donut place that had just opened up with these mouth-wateringly good hot donuts that just come in right out of the oven. You could see them make them and, and come out, and, and they, were, they were so good. And it was so much fun to get everybody that wanted to come with me that was there at the, the HarvestNet conference and say, come on, guys, let's get in the queue here, and donuts are on me. At least two or three times, I, I bought several people donuts. It's fun. Now, that kind of stuff is fun. And Paul says, enjoy this. Enjoy the opportunities to do good and do even more good. Enjoy your opportunities to be generous and be even more generous. And enjoy this and enjoy this because as you enjoy doing good, you enjoy more and more in your life. God has richly provided us with everything good for our enjoyment. And as we enjoy all that God has provided, we are able to take hold of the life that really is life. As Christians, we are called to pray. We are called to worship. We are called to evangelize. We are called to give. We are called to serve. But we are also called to enjoy the life and the things of life that God has given us. We are called to enjoy the good that God provides. Setting our trust on God and our hope in God, not on the stuff that God provides, but nonetheless, we are called to enjoy our lives to the fullest. And as we enjoy our lives to the fullest in the way that God outlines in his word, we give glory and honor to Jesus and we become even more effective at leading people into relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the source of everything good and Jesus is the source of our ability to enjoy good. And we remember that each time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. The bread and the cup remind us that Jesus gave his life so that we can have life and live it to the fullest. And certainly that means to enjoy the life that God has provided and given. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you and I honor you and I worship you because you are good. You do good. You give good all the time. And I worship you and I praise you and I exalt you for it. Our Lord, as we gather around your table here today, we celebrate your goodness demonstrated to us in the cross in the empty tomb. I pray that as we eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you'd use it to remind us of the great love that you have for us in Jesus Christ and renew our life in Christ and take our enjoyment of life even deeper in the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you, we worship you, we praise you, and we adore you. And we ask that you would bless this bread and this cup, that they would be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus, broken and shed on the cross. For you are good, and your love endures forever. And we praise you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.